aged man is but a paltry thing, a tattered coat upon a stick, unless soul clap its hands and sing, and louder sing for every tatter in its mortal dress. And for each old person, soul sings in a different way. Some heed the poet's exhortation and do not go gentle into that good night. Some husband out life's taper at the close. Some, weary of the long, insuperable struggle, retire into the kingdom of their imagination, there to remember the accumulated tremendous trifles of their past and to defeat, in silence and in peace, all that may have defeated them in life. But in that silence, if we have ears of love to hear, there is the unmistakable, delicate music of soul singing, the quiet, insistent message that man can be destroyed but not defeated, defeated but not destroyed. As with... The old man I met over 30 years ago in an institution then still called a lunatic asylum. He was, that very day, celebrating his 100th birthday and I was there when the emissary arrived to present him with the President's bounty. That emissary was the first, the only visitor he'd had in 73 years of incarceration in that awful place. The victim of a family row over land, he'd been signed in by some unscrupulous doctor and an uncaring family when he was 27. But neither the injustice nor the long years of institutionalization among the truly insane had hardened this man's soul. He still carried inside him some spark, some light, some singing quality that the shaven head and the rough, baggy, grey tweed suit could neither dim nor silence. Later that evening, the old man and I sat at an upstairs window and watched a line of low hills about ten miles away. They caught the last of the evening sunlight and the cloud shadows crossed their sides. He smiled, a long, sad smile, and said, I love to look at them hills this time of evening. They remind me of where I came from. I never discovered where that was. Fortunately, things have changed since then. As Dr. Dennis Eustace explains. In the 1960s, a great revolution took place. And what happened was that these institutionalised people were taken out of the back wards and they started to be stimulated. Now, uh, painters were sent in, for instance, to change the colour of wards. Uh, Eiderdowns were changed into individual colours. Clocks were put on walls, all this sort of thing. And occupational therapists were brought in and they were helped to activate and stimulate patients. Short as they are of money, the various regional health boards have made great efforts to remove the stigma from institutionalisation, to make long-stay places homes from home, as have many of the better privately non-nursing homes. Eileen Usher. And this has happened numerous times with numerous patients. They will be taken out for lunch on a Sunday or whatever, for their birthday or Christmas time or whatever it might be, and... uh, in the afternoon they'd arrive back earlier than we had expected and each time it's the same story it comes to a certain time in the afternoon and they immediately turn around to wherever they're staying and say I think it's time I went home and home is back to the nursing home and uh, 
each relative is so shocked because they thought they were doing such a good thing and think then that they all of a sudden are talking about the nursing home as being their home. But where the resident was very pleased to go out to lunch, they probably couldn't feel they could relax like they could back in their own home, which is the nursing home, or in their own room. And therefore they look forward to the return just as much as they did to going out for the break. Mrs Usher is Secretary of the Irish Private Nursing Homes Association and has been tireless in her efforts for a better deal for both public and private patients. The association's aims is to ensure that the nursing homes within the association give good care, good accommodation and that the needs of the elderly are seen to and cared for. This year and during the last number of years we have been um, liaison with the Department of Health and we are trying to get this Nursing Home Act which I'm sure everybody at this stage is tired hearing is coming into operation but the Minister has assured us that it will come into operation hopefully by the 1st of May 1993 which is only some weeks away. But if it does come into operation we feel that there is a two side of thing to this. One is the health boards and the other is the nursing homes. And the health board must work as a team with the nursing homes and vice versa. I suppose what's holding it up at the moment is finances. And we do need to ensure that those who are not in a position to pay for nursing home care and where the health board cannot provide the care, that sufficient funds will be made available by the health board for the patient to be cared for in a private nursing home. Some of the health boards have um, already gone out to contract beds in private nursing homes because from an economic point of view they find it is more, uh, it is less expensive to actually contract beds in a private situation than it is to build and, and run their own institutions. As a white candle in a holy place, so is the beauty of an aged face. As the spent radiance of the winter sun, so is a woman with her travail done. Her brood gone from her and her thoughts as still as the waters under a ruined mill. Visiting nursing homes and hospitals, both private and public, in many parts of Ireland, we were greatly impressed at how easily most old people had not just settled into an institutionalised life, but had come to be happy and contented. I was confined to home then, and I lived alone. I have one brother and one sister, and my brother visits me very often. He's 84 years of age. He has no family. But they wouldn't be able to look after me, so I, I'm quite happy here. I have a home to go to, but I would never go back to it. But I like to know, to think that I have a home. But no, I'm quite happy here. I get on very well with the nursing staff and with the matron and Miss McCourt and Sister Brown, Sister in charge. And I must say, Nurse Lamb is more than kind to me. She took me out on two occasions to her home, and I had a lovely, lovely evening out. One nurse said, isn't he very bold? And another nurse said, oh, no, I think he has very sexy eyes. <laughs> so I keep the fun going now. You know, I keep the fun going. 
that's me. That's because life's too short. You know, enjoy yourself when you're in it. I'm four years here now, and it doesn't feel like four months. I got quite a shock myself the other day when I realised how long I was here. I must say this much, there's an excellent staff. Apart from the nursing staff, the nurses' aides, as I call them, are absolutely first class. And there are genuinely uh, people who become, I'm getting a bit emotional, <laughs> like your own kin and Christmas and Easter and all that time. They treat you like you're one of their family. No more than Mrs. Usher does. Get home every, I go home every Sunday and any time, well any time I want to go home I can go home the, there's no restrictions to, to let you, any, you can go any time you like and come back when you like and all this so long as they know you'll return <laughs> We'll fill a Provence bowl and pledge us deep the memory of the far ones and between the soothing pipes in heavy lidded sleep perhaps we'll dream the things that once had been tis, tis only noon, noon and yet, yet too, too soon, soon to die, die. Yet, Yet we, we are, are growing, growing old, old, my heart, heart and I. Patients' interests range from pets to bridge to playing the stock market. Nora remembers. I used to be very fond of playing bridge. I was a very keen bridge player, I was. I'm not going to say I was a keen, a good player, but I was very keen and I loved the, 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 the bridge and it was my principal recreation, you might say, was the bridge. David sadly recalls. Oh, I had uh, two dogs at different times, a Jack Russell and a Scotty, and I would take them out for walks every morning and every afternoon and uh, they would live with me in my room and they could run around. However, being institutionalised has not cramped David's style in other directions. During the oil crisis in the um, 70s, early 70s, uh, I sold uh, before the uh, collapse of the share market. So uh, um, I was caused a lot of confusion with my... Uh, my money was being managed by a manager in the bank. And... Uh, caused a lot of confusion by selling everything, which is a lot of work, and uh, uh, buying back later on when they'd fallen rather low. And uh, I did make some money that way. And he finds no difficulty in keeping in touch with the world money markets from the comfort of his nursing home. Well, uh, it's broadcast on the radio twice a day, uh, English and Irish uh, shares and stocks, stocks and shares, and... Uh, I follow it in the the paper as well, the financial columns of the Irish Times or or Daily Telegraph. And uh, I uh, am able to keep up to date with all that. Tragedy in Brady's life was followed by compensations. I had a wee dog and he died when I was in here. That upset me. But I have good neighbours come back and forward to see me. People's all dead except two cousins just that comes back and forward. And good neighbours bring me fruit and different things, you know, very kind. 
and all the staff here are more than kind, nurses, all. Matron's very nice. I have two nuns comes to visit me, a nurse from Cork. I used to have a wee shop before I came in here and I had a St Anthony's box and this nun used to collect it. And she called several times to see me. She brought me a lovely cardigan, two lovely cardigans. She brought me a lovely little religious prayer on a wooden plaque at Christmas. She posted it to me. And I have another nun from the convent of Mercy here under Dow comes to see me. She came to my own home as a child, Sister Mary Therese. She's been very kind to me. I had a lot of illness and operations. She was very kind to me. Our friends go with us as we go, down the long path where beauty wends, where all we love foregathers. So why should we fear to join our friends? Una has spent 22 years in the same nursing home and has some wonderful memories of her life there. At one time, as part of her therapy, she worked in the laundry, which was situated across the road at some distance from the home. In the morning when I was there, going to the laundry, there were these two fellas with bicycles, and they were standing up on the road doing nothing, so I didn't talk to them at all. But when I was coming back in the evening, the two of them were there again, and I had a tartan cap on me that my brother gave me for a present. And they came after me and dragged the cap after me and threw it on the ground. So I told the nurse about it. The matron wasn't there. And she told me to bring a good stick in the morning and let them have it. (laughs) So I brought the stick and uh, there was a fella coming on a bicycle and I said, he's going to get it now. <laughs> and he pulled over to the other side of the road. He was sure I was going to hit him. <laughs> and I brought the stick with me for about six months. <laughs> and they wouldn't get it on their own way with me. <laughs> Depending on the vagaries of the stock exchange and his fluctuating fortunes, David is good for a verse or two of a song. Someday I'll go across the sea to Ireland and maybe at the closing of my days to see the sun rise over Clatter and watch the sun go down in Galway Bay. And if there's to be a life hereafter, and somehow I'm sure there's going to be, I will ask my God to let me make my heaven in that dear land across the Irish Sea. What shall I do with this old hulk of a man? His round black boots, his coat all gone at the elbows, his big blue trousers, baggy and shiny behind, his shirt, his ridiculous shirt like a winter pyjamas and his smouldering stub of a chewed-away, blubbering pipe. What shall I do? 
I can't throw him back in the sea. There he sits on my sofa, waiting for me to speak. Seventy years of animal life landed here at my feet. Face without life or expression, a bronze mask ridged and eroded. But the eyes in their weathered sockets flicker with animal cunning. What shall I ever say to my fellow human? What shall I do? I have visitors coming to tea. A sense of humour, a spirit of fun, can be a safety valve for oneself and infectious for others. As with Betty. Betty is on a strict diet, constantly at good-natured loggerheads with the matron and the chef. I regard St. Clair's as a hotel, a first-class hotel like the Burlington. (laughs) Without the lovely food in the Burlington. No, the food is excellent. There's a menu. We get choice of ed, food. Main course, two main courses a day. Actually, the food is excellent. What you can get of it, that is. (laughs) Um, Well, I do the same as I would... I, I did at home, though I was out working all day, but I love television. I have my own television. And uh, I watch television in the evening, and uh, we have a bit of fun during the day, sometime at each other's expense, which causes long faces, but we soon forget them. Teddy is the life and soul of the geriatric hospital where he is a patient. Everybody's friend, everybody's favourite. A great man for a song or a funny story, and amorous as well all despite the terrible burns he received in a fire while living alone. And the carpet had burned into my side, my shoulder, my heels and my elbow. And when I woke up in St Oliver's, the matron said it was a pity there was no camera to take a photo of the burns that would make history. So I am, I'm cured now. I have the, my side and the bottom of my back and shoulder and all is healed but I have once so healed the left one I have a short leg you see and a short arm and uh, I just can't stretch the short leg as far as I'd like to but the heel is a little tender yet and I just can't walk on it you know so otherwise like I, I like it here you know I like it here now because I couldn't go home because my sister came up and told me that she didn't want to leave the house idle, uh, that it be it would be vandalised. And uh, so she says, well, this is your home now, she says, for now. For good, she says. And I said, well, will you just not take me out? And she says, oh, we take you out all right during the summer for a day. But she says, when the money comes through for the house, I leave some in the Nullivers with you and put some in the bank. So whether she does or not, I'm not sure. I just have to wait on that and see will it come true, you know. So I don't know, but I I do like it here. I'm settling in lovely, you know. The nurses and the attendants and the whole lot, night nurses, day nurses, they couldn't be nicer. And I do have some great laughs with all the nurses. They all seem to like me and take to me. Teddy has acquired quite a reputation in the hospital as an octogenarian Romeo. So she took me up to the to the award and I sang a few songs and she says all of a sudden 
Oh, no, Julia, she said, kiss him. Julia says, I will not, I will not. And not, uh, Clark says, no, don't be, don't be like that. Come on, Julia. Come on, I with Julia put her arm down me. And she kissed me. But I didn't know, you see, it was two enough to throw up at the side with a camera taking the photographs. <laughs> Woman full of guile, take your hand away. Nothing tempts me now. Seek for love, you pray. Ebb tide to me, my life drifts downward with the drifting sea. Old age has caught and compassed me about. The tides of time run out. But my hair is grey and my flesh is weak. All my blood gone cold. What is it you seek? I find them not. Those sunny sands I knew so well of yore. Only the surf's sad roar sounds up to me. My tide will turn no more. For some elderly people, especially those living alone, an illness can be the deciding factor. I, I lived in Dublin all my life. I was a civil servant and I retired in 1974. And I lived alone for a number of years until I found it was getting a bit too much for me and I decided to make a change. And I came, I sold my home in Dublin and came home down to Portumna where my brother and sister-in-law lived. And I bought a smaller house in Portumna and I lived there for a while. Unfortunately, I became unwell and I had to have hospitalisation. And since I came out of hospital, I'm in this nursing home which is right beside the home of my brother and sister-in-law. I go in and see them every, every day because it's only just from walking from one garden gate to the next garden gate. <laughs> I'm fortunate in that and that I'm still mobile enough to do that. Having lived alone all her life, she still considers herself a loner. Well, the fact that I lived al- alone for so long, I suppose, it became a way of life, you know. And I was independent, like I had my own car, and I had a driving licence for 57 years. <laughs> I could go and go and come and go as I pleased, you know. So I suppose I was fortunate. God was good to me. How relative a thing age is, as instanced by this octogenarian. And the old people, well, of course, the old people downstairs, they're more older, you see, they take no interest in anything. Even in television, they wouldn't be bothered, I think. You know, yes. Sheila is owner-matron of a very efficiently run nursing home in the west of Ireland. It has been a lifelong vocation, I suppose. I have been um, involved in nursing since um, the age of 18, 19, and um, uh, geriatrics, I suppose, was my speciality. I'm a trained, um, registered nurse and a midwife, and uh, I seem to just drift into geriatrics. Um, I've spent about... Uh, 16 or 17 years in Canada as a nursing home owner and uh, administrator and uh, always found it interesting and rewarding. 
And when I came to Ireland from Canada, came back to Ireland um, in 1977, I um, was kind of floundering around wondering what I might spend my time doing and uh, decided to convert this building to a nursing home. I found the difference between um, nursing um, geriatrics in Ireland and having done the same thing in Canada that the uh, residents in the nursing home in Canada, they retired at an earlier age to a nursing home. Not that they became more decrepit or that. I would say that they were quite active and uh, um, involved in many, many more things. But in Ireland, now in our nursing home, the average age is 84. And uh, with the average age being 84, I suppose we can see... um, a lot of activity among the people because, you know, they just retire to a nursing home and I suppose this is the difference. Uh, most of our patients here, or residents as they might be referred to, um, decide themselves to come in here or a relative or friend who might live with them or, or uh, beside them. They would make the decision for them or help them to make the decision. And... Um, Most people are happy, but we do find an occasional one who might not settle in a nursing home. And they can be restless for a while and often make a decision to go back home. But it's not very common on account of the fact that um, people enter nursing homes, at least in the west of Ireland, um, uh, in their 80s, early 80s. And uh, we we try to run also a home away from home that we don't have um, very strict rules and regulations. We have visiting all day and um, even if anyone comes after visiting time they are allowed to come in. We have we try to make it a friendly place with not too many um, sterile regulations and rules and um, in that way I find that we the staff are happy and uh, the residents appear to be happy too. Eileen runs an equally efficient operation just north of Dublin her personal concern for her patients is very obvious. Um, many of the other patients would have lived with relatives for, for a period of time and can become quite distressed in the family situation at their age. And so when they come to a nursing home, contrary to other people's belief, they actually gain their independence. And the reason I'm saying this is, just like in a hotel, they feel quite right in ringing a bell if they re- if they, if they wish to have uh, attention, and they have their menu so they can choose their own meals, uh, they have an awful lot of more, much more freedom in the nursing home than they had staying with a relative where they had to fall in in line with the family and felt that they were putting the family out in any way. Here they're paying for their keep, and as we ourselves would in a hotel, we can order or ask for anything that we require. So I find that the independence of the patient, actually, or resident, is greater in care. And I certainly think that it's probably something I I myself didn't think about until I saw and started to run a nursing home, which I've been doing for the last six years. And during that period of time, I have gained vast experience and the insight of the elderly and their needs. These two ladies epitomise all that is best in the running of a nursing home for old people, where a caring attitude is a prerequisite, but where, alas, all too often, the cowboy speculators have gone for what they perceive as a fast buck in a growth industry. The SUNUS programme for the elderly is explained by a nurse. It's a system of activating 
system of activating potential for communication in people who are elderly, and it's aimed sort of at a, a wide range from confused patients to you know to the sensible patients as well. And it's recommended sort of that you mix the group so that you can get a bit of communication from some of the more active. Um, members, um, patients that are very confused aren't really suitable because sometimes you find that they actually interrupt the group more so than you know than adding to it. Now what we normally do is the tape runs through three quarters of an hour and what we normally do is we have the tape playing first of all in the background and it has that Marino Waltz tune and we have the patient sort of in a, in a room about this size and formed in a semicircle so that the helpers in that in the group can go around behind the patients as well and it starts off with um, gentle exercises and they do their exercises and that now the aim of the thing is that if patients sort of patients with strokes or other disabilities that if they can't move their limbs themselves that there's adequate helpers there so that they can go around and they can move their limbs for them so that they're actually taking part in, in, the, in the movement as such it's just it's all gentle exercise or gentle movement that they do to music and it's sort of laid out on the tape um, the lady on the tape talks us through, talks us through, the, t- uh, to, through the movements etc and then after they have warmed up sort of the gentle exercises they um, have the first sing song they have the first sing song and sort of we try and get as many patients as we can sort of joining in with the songs now you'll find sometimes that patients sort of that don't speak or are unable to speak that you'll actually if you watch them that um, you'll see their lips in that movement and the main thing is to to observe them and to see what they're getting out of it more so than what we're getting out of it ourselves and um, so they have that for the first thing along it's about three songs <laughs> Coming round the mountain, she'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. The piece de resistance of these sonnet sessions is always Teddy's solo. In the twilight low I see her If sadly thinking with spirit sinking Could more than drinking my cares compose A cure for sorrow from sighs I'd borrow And hope tomorrow would end my woes But as in wailing there's naught availing And death unfailing will strike the blow Then Then for for that that reason reason, and and for for a season, season Let us be merry before we go. Drugs and medication for the elderly and the old have always been a major area for discussion, both with the general public and with the various branches of the medical profession. Professor Brian Leonard, Head of the Pharmacology Department at UCG. As the body wears out, obviously bits and pieces start falling apart. Um, You get heart disease, you get problems with blood pressure, you get kidney disease... Uh, you get diseases of the gastrointestinal tract, the intestines, you get mental disease. And if we therefore look at elderly people, they are the major consumers of drugs in any society. And it's fairly reasonable to say that they should be, because these are the people who have the major problems. 
There are difficulties, however, which I think are often overlooked, even overlooked by general practitioners. And that is that the side effects of these drugs are generally much more pronounced than they would be in a younger person treated for the same condition. And there's a very, very good reason for that. And the reason is that as the body wears out, it means that the rate at which the liver, for example, can break down the drugs and get rid of them, the rate at which the kidney can excrete the drugs into the urine, the rate at which the heart can function and pump the blood around the body to get the drugs to the target organs which are, which are diseased, all of these things are impaired with age. Even in a physically healthy person of 60, 65 years of age, there's a reduction in about between a quarter and a third. So this is a very, very big, uh, major factor. Dr. Margot Wrigley, old age psychiatrist with Eastern Health Board. Clearly, medication can be useful for elderly people with particular problems, but I think that we must almost we must always be a, be beware of how we use it and what we're using it for, because elderly people don't. Um, use medication in the same way or their bodies aren't able to metabolize medication in the same way as younger people. So it's very easy for them to run into problems with what would be a normal dose for a younger person. So I think we must almost question whether a person needs to be on a drug and if so, how much of it and to try and minimize the amount of of, uh, the drug they're on and indeed the number of drugs they're on. Um, I think that if there's a way of overcoming some problems, for instance, one that particularly we're asked for advice about is the problem of disturbed sleep at night, people having difficulty in getting to sleep. I think it's much more useful to advise people how to manage that in a non-medication way. Um, For instance, advice about not drinking tea before they go to bed and so on. Um, That's to be encouraged. Dr. Brian Lawler, old age psychiatrist, also working with the Eastern Health Board. In terms of treating elderly patients with medications, it's very important to use the lowest possible dose. Um, it's also sp- important to start with a low dose and, and increase the doses um, in a gradual fashion because elderly patients don't metabolize or deal with drugs as effectively as younger patients. In general, if possible, it's best to keep patients off any medication unless it's absolutely required. And this is particularly true when you're treating patients with depression or agitation uh, when they're older. Because unfortunately, many of the medications that we use produce problematic side effects. In fact, most of the medications that are used by doctors for conditions such as arthritis or blood pressure, heart trouble, or for depression or, or psychosis can produce Um, poor memory or can uh, result in confusional states and uh, it's very important therefore to use the lowest possible dose or not use the medication at all unless it's very much uh, indicated. The medical profession's attitude to medication and the use of drugs in the treatment of the elderly would appear to be perfectly summed up by Dr Dennis Eustace. We are all taught today that one of the most important things is not to use these drugs too much uh, we've, we believe in the start low, go slow tactic because we know that elderly people can't manage high quantities of uh, medication. I think the training for doctors today, uh, particularly when they have experience in going to these wards, is completely different to what it was many years ago.
Community care is seen as a very viable option to institutionalisation at present. Already it is being tried in various areas. Dr Jim Kent, a general practitioner in Galway. The idea was to integrate these patients back into the community. Many of these patients were chronically institutionalised. They didn't know how to look after themselves. They weren't used to using knives and forks. Uh, They certainly couldn't clothe themselves or feed themselves or do anything for themselves over many years. So gradually over a period of time, perhaps over a year or so, they were gradually re-educated as to how to look after themselves and be more uh, self-sufficient. Professor Davis Coakley is cautious about this movement. There is a great enthusiasm for community care now, uh, and uh, it is preached that community care is uh, the the best way, and sometimes one gets the impression that it is the only way uh, forward. But there are occasions when when community care or somebody living alone in a community uh, may not be cared for that well, and, for instance, if an old person is living in fear in a house or living in a neighbor- neighbourhood where there is a lot of vandalism and they lie at, awake at night listening to noises and, 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 and worrying, obviously that is not care. And uh, maybe, again, that person might be better in a, a more secure environment of some institutionalised uh, nature. Um, and I think the important element... Uh, in the whole uh, equation is the is the element of choice and that an older person should have some choice as to whether they want to continue living in their environment or whether they would prefer to go in to um, some form of a community to a nursing care uh, if often other people decide uh, what is best and that is uh, may not be the, be the best person be the best solution for the for the individual Professor Brian Leonard is concerned about the quality of life of the old and elderly. And it really brings me all all the way back to this whole business of of quality of life. This is what we must try and do. And there are strategies. There are social strategies. Clearly, the more involved an old person is with the family, the closer they are to the family, the whole Irish, the old Irish concept of the extended family, with all its difficulties, was far, far healthier than the modern concept of the nuclear family, you know, driven by industry, up and away, let's have the big car, and away we go. And you've destroyed the very, very important fabric, I think, of society, which means the old and the young and the in-between are all together as a family group. And this, I think, is is vitally important. We've got to think of ways of stimulating the elderly people, educational programs for the elderly. Why not? Keep the brain active. We need a better awareness in the medical profession of treating elderly people in terms of physical and mental illness and ensuring that when they're getting the drugs, they're getting the best drugs, not necessarily the old ones with their nasty side effects. The newer ones are more expensive. That doesn't matter. Quality of life is more important than the money. And only in this way, I think, can we really start facing what is the challenge. It's going to be the challenge in Ireland of the next century, and I think it's about time we we faced up to that. Catherine Rose is Director of the European Year of Older People and Solidarity Between Generations. Their slogan for this year is, If you didn't know how old you were, how old would you be? I think the sort of models that we have as young people, that we have in older people around us, grandparents or older members of a family or just simply older people that we're close to, uh, has uh, a very big effect on what we uh, 
see think and see in our own aging i mean for instance if you have a very lively mother or father head uh, and if if you carry an image of uh, that older person as uh, you know uh, feeling that there that still a sense of adventure and no holes barred and uh, maybe a rebellious streak um i think that's that m- that obviously benefits us uh, because the the reverse of that i suppose would be uh, you know an older parent or an older person whom we're close to who who um be- comes passive and more and more passive in older age um i think that the 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 this sort of role modeling uh, must have really a very big effect on all of us professor brian leonard has an idiosyncratic recipe for longevity well, there's a, there's a lovely story about an interview with one of these methuselah characters who was living in the andes and it was supposed to be 150 or 160 years of age and when asked what the how he managed to live so long uh, he said our reputation for longevity is based on several factors hard work simple food lack of stress and the inability to count correctly Well, yes, the old bones ache. There were easier beds thirty years back. Sleep, then importunate, now with reserve, doles out her favours. Food disagrees. There are drafts in the houses. Headlong, the down-night train rushes on with us, screams through the stations. How many more? Is it time soon to think of taking down one's case from the rack? Are we we nearly nearly there there now? now? 